Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the second half of Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Wow, you guys are um, really great supporters. I thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you can also email me um, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail dot com. Well, today, oh, sorry, my earpiece fell out there. <laughs> today, I'm going to be speaking with author Marita Golden about her book, The Strong Black Woman. She was on the show before, and we were discussing the issue of Alzheimer's. But today, we're talking about strong black women, and what does that mean? Who who is that? What does that look like? How does that impact a woman um, to always have to be strong and feel like they're supporting everybody else? Um, maybe they feel like there's nobody there supporting them, um, that they can't cry, that they, they can't relax. Um, so this is the book she wrote about. I believe this is her on the line. Hold on you. Hi, Joy. So, hi, hi Joy. Can you hear me okay? How are you? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Welcome okay, back. Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Let me just tell them a little bit about you. Um, you uh, grew up in Washington, D.C. You graduated from the American University and the Graduate School of Journalism at Columbia University. Uh, you, you have been a faculty member in the MFA Creative Writing Program at George Mason University, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, and the MA Program in Creative Writing at Johns Hopkins University and a writer-in-resident at the University of the District of Columbia and Prince George's Community College. So she's been around here, people. she got some skills. This is not her first rodeo writing this book. She's also lectured in, in universities around the globe, Israel, Turkey, and Spain, just to name a few. So good morning again, and thank you for writing a book. I think a lot of women will be able to exhale, if you will, and once they read this book, you, you understand because they'll see that, okay, I'm not the only one out here dealing with this issue. Now, let's start out in the beginning. You know, family has a lot to do, and you talk about the impact that family has on black women and making them feel that they have to have this, you know, shield up and always uh, keep everything inside. And one of the influences I know you talked about um, was your mom. Can you talk to the audience about her impact and why she, um, why she was a strong black woman? What made her that? Well, I will answer that, but I did want to just sort of provide a little framework. I okay. just wanted to just say that the strong black woman complex is something that kind of has a, is deeply embedded in African-American culture. 
And it grew out of slavery because, you know, of course, in slavery, we were not seen as people, as human. We were treated like animals, literally, okay? Yeah, and property. We, we, yeah, we were told that we could bear anything. And so what happened is that like many oppressed groups, we took the language that was designed to diminish us and turn it into language that would enhance us. So if we, okay, if I'm a strong woman, I can bear anything. You can throw anything at me and I can handle it. I'm resilient. And so mm-hmm. what happened is we have a culture of conditioning black women to um, not show weakness, to be resilient, and to bear the burden of family and bear the burden of race. Now, one of the big problems with this, and this is why there's a new movement going on around dismantling this dangerous concept, is that if we are women who always feel that we have to be strong, that we can't ask for help, that we cannot say no, that happiness and peace of mind is only for white women, we become women who hold an enormous amount of stress in our bodies. So we're holding mm-hmm, in the which stress affects of ordinary health. life. Yes. So the systemic, ra- systemic racism that we suffer from is now recognized as a factor, a big factor, in why African Americans are so unhealthy. And so yes. if we well, do not have... Well, let's start with have... the family, though. Marita, let, let's, yeah. let's go to the family first, because that is yeah. a big yeah. part of how, how mm-hmm. women learn about this strong black woman. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. generational. Yeah. So from the family, you know, the family influences. If there was mental health issues in the family, but nobody talked yeah. about them, we discussed exactly. that in the book, exactly. the impact of the father on these women. Um, some of them had fathers that were around and others had fathers that weren't, and then they were caregivers. So in your case, when, who was teaching you to be a strong black woman? And, and where well, did my you mother. see those examples? Your mother. <laughs> my mother. Yeah? My mother was the quintessential strong black woman, and she was resilient. And like many women, I never saw my mother cry much. Um, mm. And that signaled to me that crying was something that I really didn't have time to do. So my mm-hmm. mother was both teaching me to be strong, but she was also teaching me to hold back on my emotions. And, you know, yeah. just think, speaking of family for a minute, um, a family member, a little 10-year-old girl in our family who recently lost her father, I was talking to her about this, the loss of her father, and I was saying, oh, you, I know you've cried and you must feel so sad. And she said, Aunt Marita, I haven't cried. I'm holding it in. So mm. at 10 years old, she's at already old. strong for at 10 years old, she's already a strong black woman. So in the mm-hmm. book, um, you know, it's, it's kind of written like a communal memoir. I talk about my story. I interview health activists and advocates. Other women. Mm-hmm. But, and, but other women's stories are kind of the heart and soul of the book. And um, if you, I mean, I could read a little paragraph or two from one of the stories. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. Please do. Okay. Go ahead. Because I think these are stories that we don't like to tell out loud. And the beauty of the book is that here women are talking out loud. And this is a story of a woman 
whose family, her father, there was alcoholism, there was physical abuse in the family, and she became the anchor child. And she was the child that everybody depended on. And she paid a, um, a really high price for that until she got into therapy. So I'll just read the two with details that. Because by then I was de- deeply into the superwoman, the strong black woman sim- syndrome, all of this was my burden to carry, Jamie said. But at 19, she took the first of many steps to lay her burden down by going to counseling for adult children of alcoholics. Prayer led me to counseling. All my life I've been told not to share our business. But prayer helped me realize it was okay to seek professional counseling outside the church. She found faith to endure and overcome in church, but a group counseling she could hear and see through the din and the fog of her life at home. She began to put the pieces together like a puzzle. The father told her, stand up for yourself. Don't let white people keep you down. But that warning was followed by the accusation that she talked too much and had a smart mouth. Her mother said, be a proud black woman. Be strong. I love you. But don't tell anybody our business. Tell me what you feel. But I need you. You can handle this. You are the first one I call, the one I can always depend on. She was crumbling beneath the burden, but in group therapy, that was one place where she could be herself, something she was still discovering. Jamie was crumbling, but she finally had an honest conversation with her parents. I told them, I can't carry you. I can't carry my anger. I can't carry my hurt. She set boundaries and put herself first. Yeah, that story was one of the ones I really uh, thought uh, people could take, um, I don't know, a lot of people go through that. They're the caregivers, and maybe they're the ones that got out and were able to take care of themselves. Yep. So everybody goes after them. If they need money, they need yep. a place to stay. Yep. You know, you got to call the yep. cops, this and the other, come to the hospital. And it, it's just too much. And I think if that's the same story I'm thinking of, the, the, the therapist asked her, you know, like kind of like what would happen if you didn't help them or something. Um, yeah, that, you know, well, that, that's another story. That's another story. That's another one. That's so similar. Okay. They're so similar because in that story, the therapist, why do you feel you have to carry your family on your back? And the, the mm. woman said, well, I felt like um, if my family wasn't okay, I wasn't okay. And since my family was never okay, I was never okay. Mm, see, look at there. Yeah, it's like so, a vicious cycle. Yeah crazy. Yeah. One of the things you talk about is the church and how the church and the Christian church and there's certain statements that are made that uh, tell women they have to be strong um, and they have to carry the burden. Can you talk to the audience about that? Some people may not be Christian. Some people never go into church. What, what did you learn in church or what, where did, what did you see friends learn in church that said you need to be the strong black woman or that you need to carry this burden? Well, it's interesting the relationship we have with the church in our community because Mm -hmm. um, in speaking to some of the therapists that I spoke with, one of them, Dr. Pamela Brewer, she mentioned, she told me, she said, well, you know, it's interesting, black women will always mention the church. The church is the one place where they felt safe. They felt, you know, Realize, and yet the same—that is the same church that will not allow will not allow black women to speak in the pulpit. It is the same church that depends on black women to do the work 
of keeping the church together, of all the, the manual labor, all the million little things. It's in that church that often women are victims of sexual harassment and abuse, and the, the, the victimizers are protected by that same institution. So we, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a great relationship we have with the institutional church. Then there's a relationship that black women have with the Lord, with Jesus. And that often is a very personal thing that's very different. So it's, it's kind of complex, but um, I was glad to see, I found a quote from a minister of a church in Brooklyn who said that um, he advocated to his people during the coronavirus pandemic that God wants you to go to therapy. God urges you to seek help mm. and seek mm. the God that he, and, and one of the women, in fact, this same young woman that I quoted from, she said, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, but my Jesus is a revolutionary, an activist mm-hmm. yes, who wants me to that. be yes. well. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think it's very complex, but I was really struck when Dr. Brewer said, you know, black women are always talking about the church, but the church silences black women. It does not often protect black women, and black women are not in many of the, the, the pulpits. Yeah. Now, one of the other things in, the, in those stories, which I think were great that you put these individual stories, but you have several stories of young black women going to all-white institutions, universities, and the pressure that they felt there. Can you talk to the audience about that experience um, of well, those yeah. young black what, women? What, yeah, what I did was I was, you know, looking for women researchers, black scholars who were researching this topic. And Dr. Sianna Leaf over at uh, the University of Virginia in the Department of Psychology, uh, she did a study of a group, several groups of young black women who were attending primarily white, historically white institutions and found that for many of them, the emotional stress and turmoil that they experience in those environments is, is very, very intense. Um, you know, there's the academic pressure. There's the pressure their families want them to do well. But then there's the pressure of being the single black person in the class. There's the pressure of being in an environment where um, you hear a racist remark and you want to respond to it, but you're afraid that you will be uh, labeled angry, not a truth teller, mm-hmm. but an angry black woman. And many of these young women um, were already learning to manage their anger, that is, tap it down, not express it. And they had no outlets. They didn't have groups. They didn't have, you know, sister support circles where they could say, you know, this is what's happening to me. How are you handling it? Help me handle it. And it's very yeah. important that these, these women who are going to be leaders in their families, that they learn the language of self-care and boundaries now. Yeah, well, one of the things that you talk about in the book is your ability to create groups. You started a single parents group. Um, you, you worked with other, um, you know, uh, professors, uh, other women in uh, the university settings, black women to come together on a regular basis. And the importance of that, that, that these circles are important. Even you talk about in terms of health and how health, is so important for African-American women and different, if you will, I'll say circles that were created, Girl Trek and, and different things. Can you talk to the audience why you think that's so important to have these support circles, if you will, 
or places to go for support? Well, I have a kind of a three-tier prescription. Uh, one, say hello to yourself. I think that black women need to learn how to separate themselves from family, friends, and just have periods of silence, rest, relaxation, celebration, where they are honoring their soul and their spirit. And then we know, all the studies have shown, that when you're in a supportive group, that is one of the best things that you can do for your mental health. And because I lost my parents when I was in my early 20s, I spent much of my life recreating family in different circles wherever I was to sort of replace, you know, the family that I felt I'd lost. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that we know that we see black women all the time, um, but even in some of these circles that we're in, like our sorority circle, our book club circle, our, I bet you very rarely do we talk about our mental health. We talk about everything in the world but how we are feeling. And we don't ask one another how we are feeling. So we've got to start doing that. Yeah, you talk about normalizing this ability to talk about the feelings and also talk about therapy and that therapy is not a bad word. And because you talk about in African-American community, even to today, one of the um, scholars that you interviewed is that people are still against therapy. You know, family members don't want you to share, don't share, you know, with the outside world what's going on with us. Um, So one of the things I like also is that you talked about historical figures and the historical figures in the book also, even though they were strong, like Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, different um, people, they all had issues as well. You know, they were being strong black women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that that I gave myself permission to do was I said, what would Harriet Tubman say? What would Rosa Parks say? What would Fannie Lou Hamer say if we had given them permission to speak publicly about their pain? Yeah. And so I imagine these monologues where Fannie Lou Hamer was talking about, you know, her body, uh, where she says, I was one of the wretched of the earth. I was a sharecropper, the daughter of a sharecropper. If I was mute and couldn't talk, my body could tell my story. And mm-hmm. she, she talks about, you know, being poor and being hungry and having no shoes and being um, sterilized against her will. And that's part of her story as well as the fact that she was a brilliant stri- strategic thinker in terms of liberation, but we yes. do not give women space. to. The, for example, I just learned recently that um, Rosa Parks practiced Buddhism and yoga. No as way. A way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. In, okay. her six, in, her 60s, in her 60s, she became a practitioner of yoga and Buddhism as a way of release, of, of, of connecting with her inner spirit, of relaxing her mind, of experiencing silence, and that you can still be a believer in God, you know, and Jesus and all of that, mm-hmm. and still practice yoga, and, and, and Buddhism is, a, is, is just one of the other things in the spiritual toolbox. But yes, many prominent black women have had these kind of practices. 
Well, I think is that we think we can only be one or the other. You're either strong right. or you're not. There's no in between. You, but that's not a human. A human being is varied. We are up, we are down, we are around and around. We are not just one or the other. So, um, you know, one of the other issues is being a mother. Once you become a mother, then you're naturally worried about your kids, whether you're black, white, Latino, whatever. But as an African-American woman, you have this extra extra burden of when your kids go out in the street, are they going to return or will they be arrested stopped by the police and killed. And like one of your sisters, she lost three of her sons. Yeah, yeah. And she, I write about the things that she carried, you know, the, the emotional things that she carried. But I think the other yeah. thing about holding in your emotions is that it corrupts the relationships with people. When we're always doing something for people and solving their problems, it disempowers them. My son, um, when he was an adolescent, um, he's grown man now, but when he was adolescent, he did what adolescents sometimes do. He made a really poor choice, and that choice reverberated throughout the family, and we had to say, how are we going to save this situation? And mm-hmm. as we were working to save him, um, there were times when I cried. So I asked my son as I was writing the book, I said, do you ever remember seeing me cry? And he said, yes. And he said, I said, well, what did you think? What did you feel? What did you learn from that? And he said, well, I learned that you weren't superhuman. I learned that my choices had um, an impact on other people. And I learned that I had to take responsibility for the things I had done. Hmm. So it's important as a parent to not hide everything. And and one of the things you talk about in the book is how people were hiding the um, history of, say, depression or bipolar or anxiety that the families had. And then when the women developed these issues, they, they had no idea, like thinking they were the only mm-hmm. ones with these problems. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. important. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't want to tell your five-year-old kid, look, I'm a bipolar and this and that other, but... You know, um, I think one of the stories uh, talked about how the mother and the father had separated and then eventually, you know, the girl ended up hating the mother. I think that was one of the stories. Yes, what happened was the father, yeah, the father was schizophrenic and the father, when the the parents divorced, the the father was literally and figuratively erased from the family, um, Mm -hmm. separated. They never had anything to do with them. And the daughter was terribly angry with the mother for leaving the father. And um, they just didn't talk about him, even as the mother was grieving in her own way. So years later, she goes to college. She thinks she's got this great life. And she's deeply, deeply depressed. Now, she didn't talk Mm -hmm. about the depression because, my goodness, if I say I'm depressed, will they erase me the way they erased my father? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some space in our lives to be able to share our feelings. Now, you know, in all of this, you know, people are going to say, well, there are strong white women, there are strong Latino women, there are strong Asian women. What's the difference between that and a strong black woman? Well, the difference is that the strong black woman, as we experience it and as we condition our young girls to be strong, 
is a response to racism. It is a unique form of being strong. It's different mm-hmm. also because a white woman can have a lot of burdens on her and have to be resilient, but she does not hold in her body and her mind the impact of systemic racism. She mm-hmm. does not have to, her son, get his driver's license and worry not is he going to go through a red light, but is he going to get killed. So that mm-hmm. there's a unique, the systemic racism changes our definition of strong. So that's, yes. that's the that's the And systemic racism in our bodies makes it harder for us to be healthy. That's why it's so important that we have to, to to use strategies to honor our body, honor our health, honor our minds and spirits. Yeah, one of the things is that the young women, sometimes you go to therapy and you stop and then you go back again. It's okay. So it's not like this mm-hmm. um, straight line from A, A to B. You could go to therapy for a year or two, help you with the situation, you know, come back out, and then you're fine. And then, you know, 10 years later, something else happens. You can go back to therapy, and it's okay because this is a different issue, or it might have triggered something else. So it's not like you go Mm -hmm. one time and then it's, like, done, and you never go back. Exactly. Or sometimes it is. Everybody's different. So um, one of the things I do want to mention, though, uh, people start therapy Every therapist is not the same. Every therapist um, works in a different manner. You have to interview the therapist that you find and make sure that you're comfortable with that person. Don't just think you went to one, you didn't like it, oh, well, I'm never, I'm never going to therapy. You really have to, have to interview them and see what they're about and make sure that you're comfortable with them. Um, one of the things that a lot of times African-Americans have a problem with finding a practitioner that they feel comfortable or culturally sensitive and understand that racial, the systemic racism aspect and how it weaves its way into all areas of our lives, you know, uh, from beauty mm-hmm. to health to our job to where we live. All these things are impacted. And if you don't have a therapist who understands that, you know, it probably won't work out. Well, you know, you're, yeah. You're, well, I... I found out um, about a wonderful site when I did my research, um, Therapy for Black Girls, um, Dr. Mm-hmm. Joy. This is a website where um, if you're looking for a African-American therapist, they have a whole list no matter where you are in the country. She um, does podcasts. She has a weekly newsletter. And she's a really good resource to, you know, for finding a therapist. So, yeah, um, yes, I, I hear you on yes. that, yeah. Well, thank you so much for writing this book. I'm going to be giving away some copies of the book, so I want to <laughs> encourage people to um, follow me on social media. What's next for you, Marita Golden? Uh, you have another book coming out anytime soon? Well, right now I'm just basking in the joy of having finished this book and really enjoying the very enthusiastic response to the book. Everyone tells mm-hmm. me I'm buying several copies. Nobody yeah. says I'm buying a copy. Everybody is right. saying I'm buying a couple of copies for the women in my family. So before we go, I want to encourage people to check out my website, maritagolden.com, where you'll find information not only about my books, but my 2022 classes, 
as well as my blog and other things that I'm involved in. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much again. I hope you have a great weekend, okay? Thank you. You too. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you Mm -hmm. again, everybody, for for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Marita Golden. We're talking about her book, The Strong Black Woman. I'm going to be giving away some copies, so you want to follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Again, follow the social media so they can find out how you can win a copy of the book. Talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.